Welcome to Out of Left Field with Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. For the next hour, it's all college football. And it's brought to you by Farm Bureau, Go With the Home Team, Country Police and Sausage, and Cannon Ford of Starkville. Nobody beats a cannon deal. Nobody. And now, here are your hosts, Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Week two of our fall show. I'll tell you what, the feedback's been great. Charlie got a lot of text messages last week, a lot of tweets. I know you did it too. Kind of a surprise. We really didn't push everything out and say, hey, we'll make this big announcement. We're coming back or anything like that. We just wanted to surprise all you guys. And so it was a lot of fun back for week two, and it is game week. And Charlie... If you'd asked me four months ago, I didn't know if we'd get here. I didn't think we would, to be honest. And I don't think the Big Ten thought we would either. They tried to jump out there and just go ahead and cancel the whole season, get everybody to follow. But in the SEC, it's really easy, isn't it, for us to complain about the commissioner's office when we see bad officiating or things of that nature. But you know what? I think the SEC office, the athletic directors, the presidents, they got it right because they didn't rush to a judgment. They said, let's see. And they let it play out. And because of that, we're about to have college football. Mike Leach had his first press conference as far as a game week this past Monday. The depth chart was thrown out there. First time we've seen the depth chart. I kind of feel like the guys in, in the movie Major League. You know, who are these guys? <laughs> who are these guys? Who are these guys? Especially on the defensive side, simply because, you know, you've had so many guys that left the program who graduated last year, may have left for the NFL draft, may have opted out, may have transferred. And so what that does is it creates opportunities and a vacuum for some guys that you haven't seen before. LSU's got the same problems. We have that issue as well where – you see some guys' names there that really jump out at you, and it's going to be a trial by fire for a lot of these guys. It's been really interesting. As I've looked at LSU's depth chart, look at their roster, you start to think, man, we've got an opening here. We have a chance to beat these guys. They have no experience. They have a bunch of guys starting we've never heard of. And then you look at our depth chart and say, wow, we have no experience. We've got a bunch of guys I've never heard of. And, you know, I think there's kind of two things that go into that. One is it's natural. Look, guys get older, they graduate, they leave. That's just part of college football. And some of those guys you were excited about signing a couple of years ago, they have to wait their turn, but their turn does come. The other thing that really strikes me, Bart, is that a new coaching staff brings a fresh look. I've always said that one of the number one rules of coaching is to understand that when you look at players, and I believe this is true all the way down to eight-year-old coach pitch baseball, you have to bring a fresh perspective every day. You have to reevaluate every day, and you have to be willing to let kids get better, not just in their own performance, but in the way you perceive it. You have to reevaluate. You can tell from this depth chart that there are some guys who got a fresh look. There are some names on here that wouldn't be if we hadn't made changes. All right, so we have some question marks, and I've got a couple of questions here that come from listeners, okay? And if you've got questions you've got uh, that you want to ask us next week, tweet us at Martin Charlie or email us at leftfieldshow at gmail.com. Even if you want to put an audio file in there, we may even put you on the show asking the question. But here's something that, uh, that Jason Riles was asking, okay? Are you, do you have more question marks about the offensive line or what goes on in the secondary? Yes, 
<laughs> is all the above an option? I didn't see a, a D all the above there. I think ultimately for me, if you look at the way that Mike Leach's offense works, you go back to Washington State, he didn't allow a lot of sacks past few years. In fact, as much as they threw it, they didn't give up sacks. The reason wasn't that they had a great offensive line. The reason was that they got rid of the ball in a hurry. You go back to what you talked about last week. This is an offense designed, and Matt Wyatt talked about, to take what they're giving you and to take it now, not to progress through a bunch of reads. Secondary look, man, you've got not only do you have starters back there who haven't lettered and haven't played, their backups haven't lettered and haven't played. It's going to be an adventure at times. Here's what I look at on the offensive line. Okay, what's the differences in philosophy? Okay, you start looking at NFL offensive lines. You start thinking about the small offensive lines of the Denver Broncos back in the 1990s and what they were asked to do, and then the New England Patriots. Okay, what are you asked to do differently in this offensive line compared to Joe Moorhead or Dan Mullen? With it being a sole passing attack and with it being a quick passing attack, you do a couple of things. One is, if you remember at Washington State, the splits those guys would have up front, it was almost like you could fall down like a big old tree and you would hit the next guy. And so, I mean, they have splits that are about three feet wide. So you really don't have many backs that are there to help out with any blitzing linebackers. So you've got a wall of guys, and it's like playing the old game of Red Rover. I mean, you've got a big area to run in between, and so those guys have that big area, so you have splits, and so the footwork is different. The whole key is going to be how quick can K.J. Costello get the ball away because you heard Matt Wyatt talk last week. Teams are going to bring heat. And you would expect Ed Ogeron in this first week to say, you know what, we're going to see if this is going to work in the SEC. We're going to see if we can send seven guys and how quick we can get to Costello. Now, that's the whole thing about K.J. Costello is how quick can he get it out because these offensive linemen are going to have these massive splits at the line of scrimmage. And that's what's interesting to me. Of course, one of the first real passing attacks that I ever remember seeing was watching Mississippi Valley State play in the mid-1980s. Really tight. And they had a coach, Archie the Gunslinger Cooley. And I, I used to laugh because Valley would score 80 points a game, throwing it to Jerry Rice. And same kind of philosophy. They'd run it about 10 times a game, but the guy would have 12 yards of carry. And I remember they asked Archie Cooley, said, is your offensive line any good? He said, no, but it takes a while to run around them. And the idea was you basically just create a big wall and force everybody around. That's what's interesting when you look at this offensive line concept for Mississippi State is it's not a matter of just getting all in there tight and forcing everything to the outside. You've got to be athletic and you've got to be really talented in the middle to guard what are going to be some pretty big gaps. At the wide receiver position, Tyrell Shavers, the transfer from Alabama, Listed at number one at that Z receiver ahead of Osiris Mitchell. Was that a surprise to you? Here's the thing we've got on the outside, and we talked about it a little bit last week. We have some size at that outside receiver position. I go back to what Mike Leach has said now a few times. Steve Spurrier Jr. has said it. We're looking for guys who are consistently good, not guys who are occasionally great. And I think that's the challenge for Osiris Mitchell, a guy who can make some really nice plays, but has to do a little better in making the routine play sometimes. Uh, The other names that kind of jump out at your receiver, we've been hearing a lot about Javante Payton. You feel like that may be the guy who has a chance to kind of work the middle of the field and, and have a big year. Listener Kerry asked this question. 
K.J. Costello comes from a completely different offense at Stanford. How does that fit into the air raid offense of Mike Leach? And I think that's a good question because at Stanford, you were primarily under center, five-step drops. You threw the football a lot. This is different. This is out of the shotgun, quick hitters. Now, the thing about K.J. Costello, he came out on Tuesday and said, hey, things kind of click for me today at practice. And you kind of wondered, a senior, when things would click for him because the key is going to be getting the ball out in a hurry. Can't get sacked if you don't have the ball. And at Stanford, they may wait for the second and third option. He's looking for the first option in this offense. If there is one concern about K.J. Costello, it is exactly that, in my view, getting rid of the football in a hurry. He was in a system that did not place a premium on getting out of the hands. They would go through those progressions. Look, you've got an experienced guy. You've got a talented guy. You've got a good quarterback. But he's going to have to make an adjustment. It's going to be a little bit different. You feel like he's a guy that can do it, but he's going to have to. Okay, let's jump back to the defensive side. Tyrus Wheat, junior college transfer, being brought in first year, trying to take that spot at that strong linebacker position. You know what you've got in Errol Thompson. That's the positive. You have a leader on the defensive side. And Ed Ogeron said earlier this week, he said, we had to scout three different teams. One, Washington State offense. We had to scout San Diego State defense. And then we had to scout Mississippi State for personnel purposes. So you wonder what Tyrus Wheat, Aaron Brule, Errol Thompson, how they're going to fit in this 3-3-5 attack from Zach Arnett. Yeah, and you start to look at the defense, too, and you wonder what are the certainties. I think if you were to look at the defensive line, I think Marquis Spencer is kind of a certainty. You know you're going to get a good player at defensive tackle. You're going to get good play out of Marquis Spencer. At the linebacker spot, you feel good about what you're going to get from Errol Thompson. And I'd say on the backside, Marcus Murphy, he only played four or five games last year. But when he played, he was really, really good. He was an absolute difference maker. So you feel pretty good about what you have there. You start to work through the depth chart in other places, though, and you've got a little more concern. Look, you've got a guy in London Craft who's starting at strong safety, who's a junior who hasn't played. You've got Dylan Lawrence backing him up, a redshirt freshman. Asias Verge is going to start at a cornerback, a sophomore, who hasn't really played that much. So it's going to be really interesting. And by the way, you take Furge, who hasn't played much, you back him up with a true freshman in Emmanuel Forbes. Injuries, something Mississippi State just can't afford defensively. And I think we'll talk about that later in the show, about things that could make this season go well, things that could knock it off the tracks a little bit later in the show. When we come back, we'll talk to Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. Ross is a Mississippi State guy, grew up on the coast, came to Mississippi State. I've known Ross a long time. Spent some time in Baton Rouge as the beat writer for LSU with the advocate in Baton Rouge and now a national writer with SI. We'll talk with him about what's going on around college football. And, of course, we're brought to you by our good friends at Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with a home team. Hey, nothing beats the app, this this app that you can get. And if you have a claim to make, if you need to pay a bill, if you need to do anything with your insurance, the app is great. Go with a home team. They've got agents in every community in the state of Mississippi. And so Farm Bureau, once again, presenting out of left field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by Country Pleasing Sausage. So our Country Pleasing guest line 
Get you some of that jalapeno cheddar. I tell you what, I made some of those kolaches, kolaches, I don't know what you call them. I mean, you put this, those big pigs in a blanket. You know what I'm talking about, Charlie? You know, it's uh, you put the sausage in the middle, and you do the roll around the outside. You get them at Shipley's. I made some at the house with some jalapeno cheddar. Those things were unbelievable. But, hey, it's tailgate time with football season going on, so this is the perfect time to go get you some country-pleasing sausage. You can get it at Kroger, Vowels. Or, hey, listen, if you're listening to this out of state and you're saying, hey, I don't have Country Pleasing, I can't find it here, go to their website, countrypleasing.com. They'll ship it to you. And so, man, they, they've got the andouille, the pineapple pork, so many great things. It's a great product, and it's a must-have in a Gregory and Winfield household when we get set to grill. So Country Pleasing Sausage bringing you our guest line segment. And so let's go to the phones. Ross Dellinger with Sports Illustrated joins us. Ross, I have to say, you're probably the most prominent Mississippi State graduate working at Sports Illustrated right now. Wouldn't you say that? <laughs> uh, I guess so, yeah. I don't think there are, uh, there are many of us uh, Bulldogs, former Bulldogs at SI. Well, we've got a couple things we want you to pass along to Pat Forty, but we'll save that for another show. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay, hey, listen – You've been on top of this for months now. You've seen how the landscape of college football has really changed in the last six months from behind-the-scenes conversations that you have. And I know there are a lot of off-topic and off-the-record conversations that you have with administrators and ADs. Are you surprised we've reached this point that we're going to we're playing football and the SEC is going to play football this weekend? A little bit. Um, it's been such a roller coaster of a summer and spring, for that matter. Uh, you know, we kept going back and forth. Will we play? Won't we play? When will we play? How much will we play? I've been thinking, I think, for a while that we'll start a season. I think the hardest part is going to be finishing the season, and we're, we're seeing why. I think we're up to around 20 games, 18 to 20 games uh, that have been – this is just since late August – that have been postponed uh, or, or canceled or moved uh, and that's going to be that's going to continue. We're we're going to see that throughout the season. So completing a season with all the teams that have started the season is is going to be the more difficult, I think, task, just because of uh, the outbreaks and and uh, as we're seeing, like I said, uh, we're 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 getting we're getting close to two dozen games that have that have been moved around, and, and it, so it's it, it's tough to see us completing a season. And with all the teams that started it and, and, and all the teams having the same amount of games, you know, playing the same amount of games. So it's going to be a, a weird year, but they are, they are certainly determined to do it. And, and we've seen testing advancements that are uh, hopefully going to get us closer to making the possibility of, of completing a season uh, more, uh, more likely. Ross, one of the discussions being had around the country as we started the season was, how things would look different. Obviously, there are issues related to COVID that make it look different, number of people on the sidelines and things like that. But there was also been a lot of discussions about how things would be different between the lines, this idea that teams wouldn't be as fundamentally sound, they wouldn't tackle as well, that teams that rely on execution and you know precise-type offenses like your option offenses would have difficulty. What have you been seeing through these first games in terms of between the lines of how football looks uh, and kind of measured against what you expected to see? We are seeing uh, that the the pandemic and the shutdown has, in a way, leveled the playing field. Uh, you're seeing group of five teams 
not just uh, stay competitive with with power five squads in teams that are two, three touchdown favorites, but you're you're seeing them beat them. Uh, you saw the the Sun Belt on the first full weekend have an, an incredible uh, run of of wins against uh, the Big Twelve, for instance. And so I think not having spring practice, having kind of a lesser degree summer workout, uh, having fall camp interrupted in and out because of outbreaks and such, you're, you're seeing uh, that there there is more, the, the gap between these teams, is, it, it seems to be smaller and smaller. And again, it's just because of all that, because of the lack of, uh, lack of a spring and all the interruptions and all these, you know, whole, whole positions and quarantine. And, you know, so you've, you've, it allows these group of five teams to have a little edge up, but uh, in a way, because these major conference programs are not, are not real smooth right now. And, and of course, most conferences are playing conference only like the SEC. So we won't be able to see a lot of that, but maybe we'll be able to see uh, teams in the SEC maybe pick toward the bottom half, compete with those upper tier teams. Because again, it's the same kind of theme uh, those upper tier teams have had a lot of interruption and such, and uh, it just kind of has leveled the playing field. That's what's stuck out to me so far. Uh, and then a uh, situation will happen with BYU and Navy, which is a game I attended uh, in Annapolis, and we saw what happens when a when a team decides to be really cautious and not have much contact in preseason camp, which Navy did, and they looked just you know atrocious uh, against BYU um, and got beat by 52 points um, the next week they started hitting and then they upset Tulane so it, it, it you know it's been it's been pretty incredible to watch but but overall I, I do think we've seen a, a level of the playing field because of all this talking with Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated and, and Ross you mentioned just a moment ago those greater five teams beating power fives and a lot of that occurring in the big 12 and the big 12 you know, a couple of months ago was pretty much the leverage point in all of Power 5 football. When you look at the Big 12 staying with the SEC and the ACC, because it was almost – it gave that appearance of being a pact. Looking back at that point and seeing how the the Big 10 came out and said, hey, we're not going to play football this year, and then the Pac-12 follows suit, and it was almost like the Big 12 is going to be the determining factor because you know the ACC and the SEC right now want to, to soldier forward for a 2020 fall football season. And now the Big Ten has come back and saying, hey, we're going to start the last week of October. Where do you feel everything kind of came back into the fold with the Big Ten? Was it the advances in medicine or was it the guys getting together and saying, hey, let me tell you something. We're getting killed in recruiting and we're going to get left behind a little bit if we don't jump in the rat race because right now they haven't had the major issues that they thought they were possibly going to have. I think it was a little bit of, of everything, but probably more than anything, it was uh, what I like to call FOMO, uh, fear of missing out. And uh, I think during the first full Saturday, uh, you know, one coincidental that, that all this all these rumblings with the Big Ten began the week after the first full Saturday of college football. Uh, everybody in the Big Ten sitting home and seeing football being played. And despite a lot of the outbreaks and the interruptions and such, you know, we, we still have, football 
being played. And, you know, and I think everybody watched that in the Big Ten territory and said, why aren't we playing? And, and then you couple that with the testing advancements, the rapid, cheaper testing uh, that's, that's emerging. And then you couple that with the political pressure of the president getting involved. And all of a sudden, you've got a situation that um, you you got to rectify. And it's almost like a, a domino effect when the Big Ten does something. Then, hey, here comes the Pac-12. And then all of a sudden, uh, West Coast governors who had previously said basically no football and had uh, put in rules um, preventing even football practice, a normal football practice, said, oh, no, we don't. We don't have any rules. What are you talking about? So it, it this this whole issue, you know, it's become obviously politicized and regionalized. Um, but you know, to get back to your question, I, I think it really boiled down to why are these guys these guys playing and, and we can't play? And um, you couple that with the other things I mentioned, and uh, here we are, where we have the Big Ten, and then because of the domino effect, we have all other conferences. Honestly, probably going to be playing football by uh, early November. Coded back to the bowl game, Mississippi State loses. They make the decision to change their head coach, and John Cohen goes down to Key West and finds Mike Leach, so brings the Pirate to Starkville. Obviously, a lot of discussion about that locally. Nationally, as you're talking to people, what is the conversation about Mike Leach, his impact at Mississippi State, and whether people think that passing game can be successful in the SEC. Well, it's it's funny we, you know, Mike Leach opens uh, uh, the SEC or the Air Raid returns to the SEC for the first time in basically twenty years. Um, Mike Leach has you know, opens his tenure there with the defending national champion uh, on CBS, and it's a, a huge game and a huge affair and everything. And you feel like it hasn't really been talked about much and. Even Mike Leach hasn't been necessarily uh, a huge storyline over the offseason because of all of the other stuff going on. It's like um, it, football itself has been put in the back burner and, and the pandemic and the shutdown and the social unrest and, um, you know, the politicized stuff and the, with the election year and all that. It's just it's been, um, you know, players opting in and opting out and conferences opting in and opting out that all of it's kind of been buried, but it. It's uh, on a normal year. We'd, we'd probably be writing a ton about it and and making a, a huge deal out of this because it it uh, in college football it is it is a big deal. Um, with with that said, I think everybody knows understands nationally that it's going to maybe be a little bit before Mike has uh, the Bulldogs uh, you know roaring there with with the air raid. It it, it might take a little a little bit to get to the the point of, um, you know, that we're used to with Michael, it's 50 points a game and, you know, seven, eight, nine wins uh, a season. Uh, that's, that seems to be kind of the norm with him, but it, it might take a little bit um, just because with that system, uh, and I visited that staff back in, back in March, right before the pandemic, and they're pretty clear, you know, they, they're going to need some, uh, they're going to need to recruit some different type of tools uh, for the offense that they, that they operate and um, it'll be interesting because I think uh, this year, what's going to help them, I'm sure is, is having Costello getting him uh, from Stanford. That, that is, that feels like it's going to help tremendously and in expedite uh, the whole, this whole process, because he is that guy that 
can stand back in the pocket and really sling it. Uh, so, so that's that's certainly going to help. But it, you know, Saturday's game should be really interesting because LSU lost so much. They are talented. They lost so much. They're going to be operating under a, a brand new defense with Bo Pelini running things. They changed from a four uh, or three four to a to a four three basically, and and they'll be opening up, uh, making it the debut of this new defense um, against you know one of the best offensive minds in in college football. Talking with Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. And Ross, you spent some time down in Baton Rouge with the advocate, and I know you have a lot of contacts and people you still talk to down in LSU territory. And so coming into this season, Charlie and I talked about it last week, sometimes one of the hardest things to do is to be able to play after success. You win a national championship. LSU had a season for the ages last year. Everything just fell into place. You had Joe Burrow, who made just an unbelievable mark in his senior season down in Baton Rouge. And so now trying to come back from that. You talked about the new defensive coordinator. You've got Emsfinger back as the offensive coordinator, but Scott Linehan comes in with that passing game coordinator that Joe Brady left. And so you have so many new pieces for LSU is there a chance of any kind of emotional letdown? If you're going to play LSU, this is a game you want to play. Am I right? Sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, anytime you can get, you know, there's going to be a, there's just so much new. And again, you, uh, we talked about it earlier, but didn't have a spring practice or only had like two spring practices. Um, summer workouts and fall camp were interrupted by virus stuff and all that. So you're putting in so much new at LSU with new faces that, yeah, you'd want to catch them early. And this is as early as you could catch them. So uh, it does, in that regard, it, it does set up. Um, I, I will say, though, uh, the way that Ed Orgeron has, has recruited uh, in Baton Rouge, they just, you know, replaced the five-star uh, with the five-star. Uh, but it's, it's experience level that, that has really changed. And, and you have all these new faces. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I've been writing so much this summer about uh, other things, not football, that I'm just trying to catch up this week on stuff. And I'm, I'm looking at names on LSU's roster. I don't know who they are. I mean, I've never even heard of them before. And they're supposed to start. So it's, um, and again, they're really talented, but it's a new system, at least on defense, um, and so many different uh, inexperienced players. So, yeah, if you're, for sure, if, uh, if you picked when you would want to play them, this would probably be the time. Ross, we appreciate you, man. All right, guys, no problem. Anytime. Well, thanks, Ross. And that's Ross Dellinger with Sports Illustrated on our country-pleasing hotline. We'll be right back to talk more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield, segment three. Appreciate Ross Dellinger joining us and talking about the landscape of college football. Ross is a good friend, has his pulse on college football. He talks to a lot of guys and a lot of guys off the record, a lot of guys that don't want people to know that they talk to Ross. And uh, I'm not one of them, but I'm just saying, he talks to a lot of people. Well, Charlie, it's time now for our five big things segment brought to you each week by Cannon Ford of Startwell. Cannon Ford, if you're looking for a new or used car, shop where we shop. Every car I've ever bought in my life has come from Chris Keen. Chris Keen is the general manager at Cannon Ford here in Startwell now. 
just a great guy. You could trust him, trustworthy. He puts together a trustworthy staff. And so whether you need your oil changed in the service department, you had a fender bender you need to put in the body shop, or if you're just looking for a newer used car, Cannon Ford of Startwell, the place where we shop here in Startwell. All right, Charlie. Five big things that are going to make Mississippi State successful here in 2020 or lead to some detriment. Well, number one has to be health and injuries. Oh, yeah. When we go back and we talked about the depth chart earlier and you start looking at all these names and you say, well, you got a left tackle who's never really played. you got a center who hasn't really played. You've got a right tackle who's never really played. And then you go down and look in the secondary. So one of the things about that is – you need your guys who you can count on. You need your Errol Thompsons. You need your Kobe Jones, your Marquis Spencer. You need those guys to stay healthy, or it really changes the way you kind of look at this season. And look, let's go back one year ago. We had a graduate transfer coming in at quarterback, Tommy Stevens. We go to that first ball game, and we all say, man, this guy looks pretty good. But he fought the injury bug the entire rest of the season. You end up playing a freshman. Looking at the depth chart, if Costello can't go, you're going to be playing a true freshman at quarterback behind him. All of those things kind of, to me, go into the analysis. Success or failure is going to be, can guys stay on the field? Hey, you saw it in the NFL this past week, and you kind of knew. You kind of had the feeling after all the offseason stuff and not being able to to be as engaged in your offseason work that on Mondays, especially in the, in the NFL, that you would – would see a long list of injuries. And so far, you know, look last weekend, Saquon Barkley gone for the year, Nick Bosa, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, you're going to see more guys this season probably simply because of what you were not able to do in the offseason. So that's one of the things you're just going to have to become accustomed to. Sometimes it takes luck with teams when they go far and win big of not getting team or getting players hurt but I think the whole key is this year, you're probably going to get some guys hurt and injured throughout the season. They just can't come at the wrong spots. So, for me, that's the big thing. Got to stay healthy. So, number two, can you get stops on defense? You know, we still have nightmares about that Arkansas game a few years ago where the only way you got off the field without giving up a score was the halftime buzzer going off. I mean, the punter played as much as I did, okay? <laughs> And I wasn't even here. I think I was in, like, San Juan, Puerto Rico with men's basketball. And I said that sitting there watching the game. It's like, hey, let me tell you something. That guy has played less tonight than I have, right? It's, it's absolutely – obviously, you still have those nightmares about that type of defensive performance. And you look at it, this is a team that is just going to be very young in spots, very inexperienced in spots on defense. Now, look, Zach Arnett is a really good defensive coordinator. He has had a ton of success. Young guy, he's got talented assistant coaches. You feel really good about the staff that Mike Leach has put together, but anytime you're changing schemes, you worry about what's going to happen personnel-wise and talent-wise. Add to that the fact that you've got a lot of inexperienced players. The ability to just find a way to get off the field is going to be a big deal. Yeah, it's completely different than what we had in 2003 where – you thought you had some personnel, but with Ryan Cooper calling the plays on defense, you really didn't know. Have I ever told you the Ryan Cooper story? The I, I haven't heard this one. The band before the game, you know, they're the, the famous Maroon band, and they're marching in like 18 different directions to form the tunnel down in that south end zone for the team to run out. And they're going 
every different direction. It's like a maze that they're they're weaving in and out. And I was like, well, Mr. C, it's time to Jack Crystal. Mr. C, doesn't look like they know where they're going. He says, when did Ron Cooper become our band director? <laughs> okay, so you, you, you touched on the point. Our style of offense is going to be to try to score points and try to score points in a hurry. Here's where getting stops defensively is big for me because if you score a touchdown and then you get a stop and then you score again, our philosophy is to score quickly that Mike Leach air raid. If you're playing a team like Arkansas, okay, if you're playing a team that runs more of a pro style or a running style, then all of a sudden it puts the onus on them to have to score and have to keep up. So they may get out of their game plan a little bit trying to play catch-up, and that's why getting stops with a high-powered offense is going to be key. Conversely, what's the best way to attack a high-powered offense? Keep them on the sidelines. Ball control. Hold the football. And you think about a team like Arkansas who likes to hand it off. The thing is, you're going to have to be able to get into a third down and long, and you're going to have to get the football back. Your offense can't score, hold their helmets on the sidelines. And you got to come up with some turnovers as well. Turnovers and coming up with stops. And I think that's one of the things you're probably going to see with Zach Arnett. You're going to see some forced pressure trying to make sure that you get some guys around the football and create some of those negative plays. What's number three? I think the quality of play from the backups along the front seven for Mississippi State. You go and you look at the depth chart again, you feel pretty good about Kobe Jones, you feel good about Cromedy, you feel good about Spencer, Errol Thompson, you know what you've got. But then you start to look behind those guys. you got Jack Harris, who's in the two deep at defensive end. You've got uh, Jordan Davis. You've got a Jet Johnson backing up at the wheel linebacker. I think the play of the second-team defensive line, second-team linebackers, you're going to have to play them. This is in college football today. You can't just roll out. You know, it's not like the old Ron Polk baseball. We got nine players and just leave them all out there. You got to go too deep. Now, it doesn't have to be the Jeff Collins, you know, one and one A kind of thing. I'm not saying we take our whole second team and put them out there at once. In fact, if we do that, you can expect to hear me complain loudly and often. But the guys are going to have to play. You're going to have to mix them in. I think the play of that backup defensive line, what do you get from Nathan Pickering? What do you get from Aaron Odom? What do you get from Nathaniel Watson at the Mike linebacker? To me, that's going to be big. Yeah, so much has been talked about with those back four, with the safeties, with the cornerbacks. But so much is determined in the passing game by what happens with those front seven. And rotating that first team out is going to be key just to give them some breaks because you talk about, once again, the offseason conditioning. Now, they have worked hard at Leach Beach, don't get me wrong, but you still you can't roll out there, like you said, like Coach Polk saying, hey, I'm going with the right fielder in game 52. I've got the same right fielder. What's number four? I think this year presents some unique challenges in terms of game situations and game management. So what I'll describe this as is, those teams that can handle situations. Let me give you an example. We'll go back to the Dallas Cowboys game this past weekend. You had that onside kick. What do they call it? The watermelon ball or something. You're always bringing it back to the Cowboys or the Yankees. Well, two storied franchises. It's a pretty good place to start, I would suggest. Okay. But if you, if you look at it, that onside kick, we're sitting there, those of us watching and not watching the New Orleans Saints, what are we doing? We're sitting there just screaming at the television. Why didn't you pick it up? 
nobody had the situational awareness for the Atlanta Falcons to just pick up the football. But you go back and you think in the NFL they've had less practice time, they haven't had preseason games. All these things that go away, you wonder in college football, are teams going to be a little bit less situationally aware? Yeah, I think there's going to be some times after games are over that we go back and say, what in the world were we thinking here? Or what in the world was that team thinking there? Simply because everything's a crash course right now. And the positive is about our style of offense, you start thinking about teams in a two-minute drill. We're in a two-minute drill at all times, so it really shouldn't affect us a whole lot. But you start thinking about teams spiking the football and just situational things that you're able to go over and practice, but they've been kind of pushed back to the back burner, and a lot of that comes on the special team side as well. So those are the things. That's a good point, Charlie, because there's going to be some situational things at the end of games where you say, what in the world were we thinking? Now, we may be still thinking that, and we do. It's college athletics, man. You may be saying that in week seven. But at the end of the day here early in the season, that may be something to look at. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, too. Special teams is the place that shows up. The guy trying to get up and make a catch that he probably should have taken a fair catch, all those things are going to be interesting to see. And we've seen that early in the season already in some of these other conferences that have already played. What's number five? Well, this one is probably a little bit obscure, uh, but you got to throw and catch. Yeah. <laughs> so not obscure at all. It's just, look, this offense has a basic premise. The quarterback, what was Mike Leach's phrase? What's the job of the quarterback? Throw strikes. Throw strikes. Mike Leach, interestingly enough, loves a good baseball analogy, which fits in with our show. But you've got to throw strikes, and guys have to catch the football. I think back to something Sparky Wood said when he was offensive coordinator here. He said, we have to create an environment where when our quarterback drops back to throw, there isn't a collective gasp in the stands that's basically, oh, my goodness, we're going to throw it and just hoping we catch it. Look, this is an offense that depends on doing something that you and I have complained about for years. It depends on Mississippi State receivers catching the football. Wasn't White a quarterback under Sparky Woods? Yeah, now that you mention it. Did we have gasp when White took that seven-step drop? <laughs> oh, boy. But you go back and look. This offense doesn't work if you don't catch, and that's not been a hallmark of Mississippi State football. All right, Charlie, so that's our five big things, five big keys for Mississippi State here early in the season of having success. So the Bulldogs kicking it all off on Saturday in Baton Rouge at 2.30. We'll come back with a final word. Of course, these five big keys brought to you by our friends at Cannon Ford of Starkville. Cannon Ford. Go down there and tell them that Bart and Charlie sent you. They may give you a discount. They may charge you extra. And you're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. We've got agents in every county. And so if you're doing business with Farm Bureau, you know that you have the best customer service and on demand. If you're not handling your insurance needs through Farm Bureau, they are the guys to go to. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Charlie, it's time to look at this week's opponent, the Fighting Tigers of LSU. Ed Ogeron, you know, it seemed like <laughs> a couple of years ago he's on the verge of losing his job. Everybody's wanting to know why in the world they were hiring Ed Ogeron last year, the national champions. On the surface, 
I hate to even say this, but it seemed like last year he just kind of laid off. He let his offensive coaches coach. It let his defensive coaches coach. He had Dave Aranda, very well-respected defensive coach. You had Emsfinger, but Joe Brady running that offense, and he was real hands-off. Now, all of a sudden, new coaching staff. You wonder if he's going to go back to the tinkering stage he used to have. Well, it's real easy to stand over there and clap and applaud when you've got a guy like Joe Burrow doing what he's doing. But now you're going to take a guy in Miles Brennan who's going to be your starting quarterback. He's been down there four years. That's the good news. The bad news is he's never been the starter. And so it's going to be really interesting. You know, when things are going good, it's easy to stay calm on the sidelines. But how do you react when a lot of these new guys start to make mistakes? Okay, so let's look at LSU. You look at Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So much has been talked about Joe Burrow, but you lose – your running back who was so good last year. You do, and it's going to be a little bit more of a running back by committee approach for LSU this year. You look at Chris Curry. He had that big game in the semifinal game. He was very talented running back, but you're going to have a different approach. You're not going to have that one guy. You're going to have to spread it around a little bit, and you're going to be running behind an offensive line. We talked about Mississippi State being inexperienced. Same thing for LSU. You look at left tackle, a guy who started three games. You've got an offensive line that candidly ought to be a major concern. You've got one starter back, and you've only got three guys total who've played much at all on the offensive end. And and so then you put the play-calling responsibilities and a guy who used to be with the, the Dallas Dallas Cowboys, yeah. Scott Linehan, and I was glad to see the fact that he is no longer with the Dallas Cowboys. Let me ask you this question. How many guys as offensive play callers in college football have success coming from the NFL? Well, Ooh. it's tough to think of it, isn't it? I mean, seriously, because you, you think of – I just remember, you know, under Sylvester Croom, and I'm not comparing, you know, Sylvester Croom's offense that was in the 100s every single year to, to anything else, but it seemed like – an NFL offense and the terminology is hard for an 18 to 22 year old to grasp, and they they just don't have the success in the college ranks that they do in the NFL. And that's just one of the things that I look for. It begs the question, though, when you start talking about that inexperience at the offensive line, and you start talking about the inexperience as a starter at quarterback. You know, Jamar Chase was your top wide receiver. He opts out. Did Chase know more than we do? I mean, I'm looking at this as a helicopter now, Charlie. Is this a situation where LSU is going to kind of revert back to a couple of years ago where they try to run the football more than that all-out passing attack? Well, it could be. I mean, look, that's what Lenahan was doing with the Dallas Cowboys, obviously just handing it to Zeke Elliott and not necessarily using the passing game the way they should have. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what approach they take. If we were to go back before last year, I think you could make the argument that LSU did less with more, that they made the less use of the most talent in the league year in, year out. Last year kind of changes your perception because they were incredible. But so many of the guys who made them incredible are gone, both in terms of coaching and in terms of players. And so now you wonder, what can Scott Linehan do to help you on offense? What can Bo Pelini do to help you on defense? And think about this. This is a team that's changing defensive schemes as well. Bo Pelini bringing his own approach, and he's going to have a lot of inexperience. So let me ask you this question. If you're going to go against an air raid attack, a spread attack, and so you talk about Dave Aranda pretty much a 3-4, Bo Pelini a 4-3, isn't this a style of defense that you want to attack 
out of a 4-3 instead of a 3-4 simply because you've got more guys that are off the ball or, or can drop back in pass coverage. Don't you want to face a 4-3 instead of a 3-4? Yeah, I think so. You know, you go back and you look at Dave Aranda's defense. Basically what he did, he just had three guys that their goal was to plug up some gaps, take some blockers, and then you had those freak athletes on the backside able to run around and make plays. It's going to be interesting to see what Bo Pelini can do. He has a really good safety back in Jacoby Stevens. He has an outstanding cornerback in Derek Stingley. Both those guys are all SEC in the coaches' poll. But if you can't get pressure on the quarterback, if you can't defend at the other spots, having a couple of good ones doesn't help you. Okay, let's talk about the intangibles. Going to Baton Rouge, playing a 2.30 game in the day, they, like Mississippi State, do not have tailgating during the day. It's going to be 20,000 people there. It's going to be completely different for LSU, for their players. Let me ask this question. If you're used to running out of that tunnel and you're used to your home crowd, say at Mississippi State, you're used to 60,000 people with their cowbells and it's loud and it's intimidating and you're used to that juice to get you ready for my home field advantage. At LSU, it's that 100,000 that are yelling loud. Does it affect you? as a home player of not having the extracurricular activity that you're used to? Is that crazy to say? No, I think it can. Now, the question is, does it help you for good or bad? If you look at Miles Brennan, a guy, look, he goes out and throws a pick or two, and there might have been a whole lot of negative energy in the building that you avoid. So I think it definitely has an impact. It's just a question of which way. By the way, did you see the pro game this weekend where uh, Carson Wentz threw an interception and they booed him? through the fake crowd noise. (laughs) His own team was booing him in his own stadium. But in any event, so you're going to have, I think, that situation where I think it absolutely has an effect. The question is which way. If I'm a defensive player, the lack of a crowd at LSU is a really big deal. So let me ask you this question. And one of the things that we've seen in the NFL, and you hear NFL guys talk about playing in a sterile environment. In years past, If a team went on the road, essentially you're working without a snap count. You can't go with a hard snap count on the road. Now you may see a little bit more of the home team jumping offside more because they're not used to having a snap count in their stadium. Everything is going to be sterile because you're going to be able to change plays at the line of scrimmage and do things as an offense that you've never been able to do before. Able to use your voice and not hand signals. Able to communicate along that offensive line better. If you think about the ability to communicate, receivers and quarterbacks can communicate with each other through signals pretty well. It's really tough to get those communications down that offensive line. It's going to be easier now on the road than it would have been. So here we are. Season starts on Saturday, two days away. Hey, one thing we haven't talked about, and we'd be remiss if we didn't make note of it, new special teams play this year. Oh, Brandon Ruiz, big leg. Yeah, you got a guy coming in who that's the word, right? Supposedly kicking a mile, but he's going to take the place of a guy who's been pretty reliable back there. So another change that you probably wouldn't have seen had there been the old staff. So a lot to look at, a lot to unfold. We'll have a lot more questions next week when we come back at you, getting ready for week number two in the SEC. So Charlie enjoyed it as always. 2.30 kick on Saturday. We'll be on the air for the pregame show at 12.30. So college football is finally here, Charlie. That sounds so good, doesn't it? Oh, man. 
it's time. So for Charlie Winfield, I'm Mark Gregory. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.